uh, this great awakening has already begun. And, and it, is, it is an awakening. It's an awakening to who we are in Christ Jesus. And I, I believe with all my heart this awakening will not be, um, well, there it is over there, or there it is over there. It's going to be everywhere. And the, the only way that it can be everywhere is if we all awaken. See, what, 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 what is going to put us into this great awakening? Is, is, it, is it going to be all of a sudden God does something? No, we awaken. We awaken to who we are already in Christ Jesus. That we're not waiting for something to come down from heaven. Heaven already came down and is dwelling among men, is dwelling in men. Christ in you is the hope of glory. The glory of God, the goodness of God being revealed to humanity is not going to come like, like we've seen in the past. See, a lot of people think that, that God just all of a sudden decides to do Azusa Street. No, Azusa Street was a people awakening to, to the realities that were already available to them in Christ Jesus, right? There was a small pocket of people that awakened to what they already had in Christ. God didn't do a special move. He just manifest who he always was. See, we, we think that these, these revivals and these awakenings are something that happens because God sovereignly decides to do something. No, it's Jesus. God has already sovereignly moved in Christ Jesus. He is seated now waiting for his enemies to be made his footstool. And we must awaken to who we are in Christ Jesus. What is holding us back? What is holding us back from being imitators of God? Unbelief. And why do we have unbelief? Because of religion. See, a lot of times people think that I just put a message together to put a message together. What we've been teaching over the last six, now going on seven weeks, is the very thing that's keeping you from being everything that God has created you to be in Christ Jesus. We have been lied to. We've been put in bondage. We have been fed a false gospel. We fed a false gospel. Just a, a, a. We have a gospel of death. You know, we're, we're about to enter in, and we're gonna, I'm going to break, break my series a little bit, but it's still going to be on this, the same thing. The Resurrection Sunday is next week. Most Christians, even though they believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and is seated at the right hand of God, they're not dwelling in the throne room. They're dwelling at the cross. They're constantly trying to crucify themselves and seeing their sins nailed to the cross and constantly asking for forgiveness and living this, this, this same life of, of um, repentance. Repenting from their sins, then sinning. Repenting from their sins and then sinning. Repenting from their sins and, just, and sinning. The resurrection teaches us that sin has been defeated, and now we learn to live in the life of God. 
and we leave the cross. The cross is the door. You can't get in without going through the cross. And you, and you have to have, you have to have a, you have to have a, uh, a death for there to be a resurrection, right? But you can't fellowship, you can't fellowship with a dead man. You can't have relationship with a dead man. And Jesus is at the right hand of God. And what is eternal life? Eternal life, Jesus says, is that they would know God and his son, Jesus Christ. See, we, you're probably going to hear some of this again next Sunday. What we, we, preach, we, we preach a message that sin, the sin, sin was the biggest problem humanity had. And it's not. The biggest problem humanity had was broken relationship with God. Sin was just part of that. Sin is what caused us to see ourselves separated from God. Our problem is not sin. Humanity's problem is not having a relationship with God Almighty. And at the cross, at the cross, Jesus, it wasn't that sin was taken care of at the cross, but our broken relationship, our broken fellowship with God was taken care of at the cross. See, we are so sin conscious instead of fellowship conscious, instead of union conscious. That we've been <laughs> baptized into Christ Jesus. And the reason why we have unbelief is because we are not looking unto Christ, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. We are looking unto ourselves. We're at the cross looking at ourselves. We're, the cross, we, somehow religion has turned the cross into a great big magnifying glass. You come to Jesus Christ through the cross, but you don't live there. You live in newness of life. You are now seated with Christ in heavenly places. Read the book of Acts. They didn't preach the cross. There's references that Paul makes. But the, what is the message that they preached? They preached Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead. The resurrection, the resurrection, the resurrection is the answer. And you have resurrection, the Bible says, in you. You have resurrection life in you. Amen? And so this awakening that needs to happen is not for waiting for some super duper to start doing things. To realize that you're the super duper. That these works, Jesus said, that I do, and even greater works shall you do, because I have gone to the Father. See, he's gone to the Father. He's not in the grave. He's not on the cross. And these greater works shall you do. And, and, and just start, it just... It just start. Let's just start it with our own, with our own families. Let's start with our, our people that we come in contact with during the day. There's a reason why someone, for no reason at all, comes up to you and tells you what's happening in their life. 
You ever notice that? You ever have someone just start blah, 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 and, 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 and they're talking about tragedy, they're talking about things that are happening in your life? You know, I've had people come up to talk to me, and, they, and I'm thinking to myself, I, I, don't, you don't, I don't know you good enough. I wouldn't share this with you. You don't know me good enough to share this information. There's a reason why. They don't even know why they're doing it. It's because you have the answer. When people come up and talk to you about, well, the doctor says that I'm diagnosed with cancer. The doctor said that I, I've got this. Oh, why are they telling you that? Because you have the answer. Jesus Christ is the answer. Revival of reviving dead people, which you are not, will only happen when we awaken to who we are in Christ Jesus. And and in it's it just it just gotta it's gotta start happening. It, things just gotta start clicking. We we need a great we need a great Rama revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here, here's some stuff. Here are some things that God will never do when you sin. He won't condemn you. Do you believe that this morning? Then why do we live in condemnation? He won't hold your sin against you. Do you believe that? And why are we still begging for forgiveness? He won't, send, he won't send you on a guilt trip. Why do pulpits try their best to make their brothers and sisters feel guilty? He won't withdraw from you. Father will not withdraw from you. So why are we hiding from him? He won't kick you out of his family. Those are things that God will not do. We need to understand that it's not possible for God to be angry with you when you sin. I thought I'd go over that way. <laughs> God judged sin at the cross. And when you are born again by faith in Jesus Christ, you are no longer in sin, but you are in Christ Jesus. For God to be angry with you when you sin would be like saying that Jesus, what he accomplished on the cross wasn't good enough. If God is still angry with sin, then he... then. Jesus would have to come back and do it again. It's interesting. Religion's a lot like socialism and communism. When you start applying common sense to it, it doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. For God to still be angry at sin. And first of all, he was never... He was angry at sin, but not 
sinners. Is to say that Jesus didn't accomplish it. Correct? See, so... So does God care when we sin? Very much so. Our sins make him sad because it hurts us. Sin hurts God, makes him sad because of sin's effects on us. Sin damages people, it fractures friendships, it destroys families. Our behavior matters very much to God because you matter to God. You ever hear someone say, I, I, I could care less what they do. You know, when it's almost like they wrote somebody off. I could care less what they do. You know what? God cares what you do. Why? Because he cares for you. He hasn't written you off. Like any good father, he wants you to prosper in life. He, he doesn't want you opening up the door to trouble. But even if you do, he still remains father, and you still remain his dearly loved son. In Isaiah 54, 9, the prophet says that there will come a time where God says, I have sworn not to be angry with you. You believe that? <laughs> I have sworn not to be angry with you. This is Isaiah 54, verse 9, in case you want to check me. I have sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again. If these truths are hard for you to grasp, it's probably because you have believed the religious lie that says the job of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin. Do a quick search on convict and conviction. You'll find that it's never tied with Holy Spirit convicting you of sin. For a lot of people, that comes as a huge shock. Most people have been led to believe that self-doubt, self-condemnation, feelings of unworthiness, shame, conviction for individual sins are the work of the Holy Spirit, and that's not in the Bible. See, the devil's favorite tool called religion has done a wonderful job at convincing the body of Christ that the Holy Spirit is the source of all their negative feelings. When you come to a lot of church services, we back it up. Hopefully not here. Hopefully here you, you, you are energized in the knowing of who you are in Christ Jesus, that you are energized with, with understanding, with the life of God that now quickens your mortal bodies. And that you walk in the freedom that Jesus Christ have brought, has brought. Amen.
me have been set free from that burden. See, this lie, this lie has believers convinced that Holy Spirit is showing them how unworthy they are and that they need to clean themselves up. They need, you better get your act straight. And if you ever, especially if you ever want to receive anything from God. But that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 19, look at this. It says, we will know by this that we are of the truth and will set our heart at ease before him. And if our heart condemns us, that God is greater than our heart. And he knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. What the Bible teaches us is that it is our heart, or more specifically, our conscience that is condemning you, not God. This is not the work of Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is never the source of any of our guilt or condemnation. He is not, he is not the one that makes us feel bad when we sin. Your conscience is a part of you that condemns you. And if you are feeling unworthy, it's almost impossible to receive from God's abundance by faith through grace, or by grace through faith. See, that condemnation is what blocks the flow of God in your life. Why? Because when you feel condemned, you can't be in faith. Verse, 20, uh, verse 19 and, and 20 makes this very clear. Your heart can condemn you even though God is not. Let's read it. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will set our heart at ease before him, that if our heart condemns us, that God is greater than your heart and he knows all things. That if our heart is condemning us, God's still greater. The promises of God are still greater than our heart, than that condemnation that, that is in our heart. God already knows all things. See, this is a radical truth, and it comes as a complete shock to most Christians, as I can see by the expressions on your faces. We've, been, we've just assumed that it's always Holy Spirit who is condemning us. Verse 21 tells us, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. What's that confidence? What's in the, what, that's faith. If you can reach the point where your conscience is not condemning you, where, where, where you're, it's not judging you and causing you to feel unworthy to receive from God, then you will have confidence towards God. And look what Hebrews has to say about having confidence towards God. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, it says, Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. See, there is great reward for the individual that doesn't throw their confidence in God away. So should we just ignore our conscience? 
See, ignoring our conscience is something that we cannot do, nor should we do. See, like our feelings, it can be used to let us know that something is not right in our life. Right? And the problem is, is a lot of people, are, they live according to their conscience, just like they live according to their feelings. Well, I don't feel like doing it. It doesn't matter what you feel like. Or I feel this way. Or I don't feel very saved. Or I don't, I don't feel like, like God loves me. I don't, I don't feel like I, I love my spouse. I don't care what you feel like. But that does indicate there's something wrong within you. And when you don't feel like doing something that you know that you're supposed to do, you do it anyways by faith. And then the feeling follows. Your conscience is the same way. Your conscience indicates that there's something wrong. When you did something wrong, when you were living not according to your true identity in Christ Jesus, there's something comes up in you and says, that's not right. That's not who you are. Why did you do that? And there's thousands and thousands and thousands of Christians that live right there. That feeling of unworthiness, that feeling of shame, that feel of guilt and condemnation, and they're paralyzed. And then they can't do anything. They don't feel like they can do anything for God. Me, lay hands on the sick and see him recover. Me, share the good news of the gospel. Me, expect God for promotion and increase in my life. Why? Because they're being controlled by their conscience rather than by the truth, who is Jesus Christ. So here's the best way to deal with conscience. Right? If you want confidence between God and you're you're struggling with your conscience, here is the best way to deal with conscience. As much as possible, don't give it any occasion to convict us. That, That solved a lot of problems right there. Don't do anything that's contrary to your conscience. It can't condemn, it, your conscience can't condemn you if you don't give it a reason. However, we know that none of us live perfect lives. And ultimately, you, you've got to learn how to purge your conscience from dead works. We have to learn to purge our conscience conscience and cleanse our conscience. And most people have never been taught how to do this because they've been taught the lie that it's from God and most Sunday preachers are working their hardest to bring people under conviction for their sins, even to the point of condemnation. So how do we purge our conscience? In Hebrews chapter 9 verse 13 it says, for if the blood of goats and bulls And the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? 
See, a lot of times those dead works, you know what those dead works are? That's you, that's that little checklist that, well, I screwed up here, but if I do this, this, and this, then I can earn my way back into God's graces. God will not allow that to cleanse your conscience. <laughs> dead works is thinking that you can obtain righteousness through the law. And we all do it. Some of us, our dead works is just time. Well, if I just sit and wallow in my grief and misery, in my shame, in my guilt and condemnation, then over time, God will finally forgive me. Look what Hebrews 10 gives us another insight to purging our conscience. It says, in Hebrews 10, 22, he says, Let us approach God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. So we can have a sincere heart. What's a sincere heart? A sincere conscience. How? Through faith. Having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So, our conscience. When was your heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience? At the cross. And we have been cleansed, washed with the water of the word, the pure water of the Holy Spirit, the river of living, of living water that dwells within you. When we purge our conscience from dead works or cleanse an evil conscience by turning our attention to Jesus by faith, in his all-encompassing work, our consciences become clean. See, it's a, we cleanse our consciences by looking to Jesus, to looking what Jesus Christ has done and seeing ourselves in Christ Jesus. If you see yourself in Christ Jesus, how can you see yourself in sin? Is Christ in sin? Are you in Christ? And when we do, we, ha we don't have to fear coming to our Father. We don't have to hide in the bushes like Adam and Eve. We don't we don't we, there, there are people that do not come to church because they're hiding from God. There, there are people that, this tells you how lousy of a job the church has done. When people say that, if I went to, went to church, the roof would cave in. Or and get hit with lightning or something. This is, these, are, these are common sayings that the world has. Because they have not heard the good news that they, that they can have their conscience purged from dead works. They can have their conscience cleansed through the blood of Jesus Christ. They can be made the righteousness of God in him. That they don't have to fear coming to the Father. That he's not going to condemn them. That, that he longs, heaven says that, that heaven rejoices over one sinner that comes to salvation. 
comes to repentance. And the good, good father is, is, is waiting for his prodigals to come home. Why? So he can put a ring on their finger, a robe on their back, sandals on their feet, and throw a party. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest, who is that? That's Jesus, right? Who has passed through the heavens. That means he's not on the cross anymore. Jesus, the Son of God, let's hold firmly to our confession. What is our confession? Jesus Christ, the living God, the living Savior, that his spirit lives in our spirit, that we've been made one spirit with him. That's our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize. There we go. With our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things just as we are, yet without sin. Praise the Lord. We we have we have a savior. We have a God that has experienced everything that you've ever experienced. But he won the victory. He had victory over it all. And he, he is where we place our faith. Hmm. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. With confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace for help at our time of need. See, at the Father's throne, there is just mercy. And there's grace for our time of need. And what that means is, is that, that mercy is, is, is coming through the cross. On the cross, we received mercy through the resurrection in the gift of the Holy Spirit, we received his grace. See, mercy is the forgiveness of your wrongdoings. Grace is the empowerment to live above sin, death, and the grave. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is the complete opposite of what many Christians think. Let's look at how Jesus describes the work, working of Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper so that he may be with you until the next time you send. So that he will be with you forever. How long is that? That's forever. Let's get some amplification on this verse. In the Amplified Version, it says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter, a counselor, a helper, an intercessor, an advocate, a strengthener, a standby, that he may remain with you forever. Nowhere does it say a condemner, an accuser, a shamer. Holy Spirit is the comforter, not the afflictor. You know, in the Old Testament, there's a type and shadow of Holy Spirit, and it's Nehemiah. Nehemiah, his name means the comfort of the Lord. And, and when, this is a little rabbit trail, as I was preparing, I came across this. It doesn't really fit, but I'm going to throw it in here anyways. 
I thought it was very good, interesting. You know, it, Israel went to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. And it was years and years and years went by. And they couldn't get it accomplished. And then Nehemiah shows up, the comforter. And within a few months, the walls were, were, were rebuilt. See, a lot of Christians are living their life trying to build their own temple. Some, a life that's pleasing to God. And they just keep on stumbling over themselves and nothing's getting accomplished, nothing's getting it done. And Jesus Christ sent the comforter to do all the work. To give us vision, insight. To lead us, to guide us, to strengthen us, to encourage us. And too many of us, because of the lies of religion, have wanted not, have not experienced this close, intimate, personal relationship with God called the Holy Spirit. That Jesus, that Jesus intended us to have. Because we think the Holy Spirit was only sent to beat us up, make us feel bad, and show us how rotten of people that we are. Jesus said that he would send another, another comforter. Another means one of the same caliber, the same kind. Jesus did not send someone that was different from himself. Jesus says, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. You said the three are one. And Jesus, Jesus says that, 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 that Jesus was still, would send the comforter. And, and when Jesus was on earth, he comforted people. He didn't condemn people. He, he, he didn't, in, during his earthly ministry, he encouraged them to see who, the, who God called them to be and the relationship that they could be in Christ Jesus. The only ones that they, he condemned were, was people that were blocking people from entering in to the throne of grace. They were creating stumbling blocks for people. And Holy Spirit does the exact same thing. He's wooing and drawing people into the Father's embrace. In John chapter 14, verse 26, it says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of all that I said to you. So there is no doubt at all that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is not one of condemnation. It is one of comfort. So that's good news. How can you hear the voice of God, you might be asking. How do I know if God's speaking to me? Well, if, you're not bringing, if it's not bringing comfort, guess what? It's not God. Wow. Wow. And I can just hear, I can hear it in your head. But, 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 but. You can, you can say all your butts you want. God 
<laughs> actually believes that Jesus accomplished it. God actually believes the gospel. It doesn't matter if you don't. God is stronger than your heart. Your conscience might be, need to be cleansed. Your conscience might need to be purged. You might be stumbling over the stumbling block of Jesus Christ. But God sees it perfectly clear. And thank God, God is stronger than our conscience, stronger than our hearts. Amen? I know you're probably thinking, Pastor, I know that Jesus said that the Holy Spirit, when he sent the Holy Spirit, he would convict us of sin. Yep. Glad you brought that up. Let's look at it. The one place that uh, it says the Holy Spirit convicts of sin is in John chapter 16, verse 7. It says, it says, but I tell you the truth, it is your advantage that I am leaving. That's how, that's how important the Holy Spirit is. That it's better for Holy Spirit to come than Jesus to be here in the flesh. For if I do not leave, the helper, oh, he's a helper, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world regarding sin and of righteousness and of judgment. See, Jesus knew that the accuser of the brethren would impute to the Holy Spirit things that he was not doing. See, that's the thing about, it's just like that with everything. The devil uses his number one tool, religion, Always, to, to always point towards God things that are not in God's character. Getting you to believe that God's character is different than it truly is. He's the accuser of the brethren, not God. I mean, that right there should settle it. If the devil is the accuser of the brethren, and you're saying that the Holy Spirit's accusing me, what is it? We're schizophrenic. Just like everything, the, 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 the enemy of our souls, the, 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 he uses religion he, he, to try to get the children of God to question God's character. So Jesus explained this very carefully of just what sin the Holy Spirit would convict us of. So let's move forward to verse 9. See, what happens, if you do not read scriptures, if you take scriptures out of context, if you don't get the context, then all you have, if you, the, the context of the text, then all you have is a con. And a lot of people have been believing a religious con. Verse 9, regarding sin, because they do not believe in me. Not regarding sin because they steal, lie, cheat, commit adultery fornication, homosexuality, drunkenness. There's only one sin. It's singular. There's only one sin that the Holy Spirit will convict you of. 
not believing in Jesus. And I tell you what, there's nothing greater, there's no, nothing more encouraging, there's no, nothing more strengthening, there's nothing more help to humanity, there's nothing more um, uh, uh, edifying than being convicted that you need Jesus. Holy Spirit only convicts us of the root of all sin, our need and a dependence on God Almighty, who is Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit does not convict us of lying. He doesn't convict us of stealing, adultery, murder, and so on. The law does that. And that's what the law is for. He, can, he convicts us that we aren't trusting in Jesus and not trusting in Jesus is the root of all your sin. When you sin, you just are having an identity crisis. You're not trusting who you are in Christ Jesus. You're not trusting for God to be that good, good father. You're trusting in the flesh. Okay, if religion, your religious mind is causing you to twitch a little bit, we're about to go here. Might just get you into the Pentecostal shakes. So, so, not in the good way. Let's read the Bible. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Right there. It's telling you, you don't have to sin. And like I always say, you're thinking, if I don't have to sin, why do I sin? That's a good question. You should ask yourself that more often. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Thank God that Jesus is not on that cross. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Hallelujah. And he himself is a propitiation. I've been doing some studying on that word right there. That's, 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 quite, that's quite a word. Uh, maybe we'll talk about it next week. I don't know. For, he's a pro propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Do we believe this? What he's saying here is not is Jesus just is not the propitiation, the gift for sin, just for Christians, just for believers. He is the gift for sin that appeases the payment and penalty of sin and the wrath of God for the whole world. Rejecting Jesus is the only sin that keeps you from everlasting life. Why do we spend so much time in the church preaching people under conviction and, point and explaining to them in great detail what is sin? Most people are so acquainted with sin, they know them better than Holy Spirit. They know it better than the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the gift for sin, for all sin, the sin of the whole world. 
We do not have to be engrafted. We don't have to be baptized. We don't have to be submerged into. We don't have to be joined to. We don't have to become one with sin no longer. That does not have to be our nature. We can be transplanted. We can be removed out of the kingdom of darkness and translated in the kingdom of his dear son. We can be grafted into the very nature of God, the spirit of God, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, quickens your mortal bodies, lives within you. We can dwell and move and have our being in him. We, we can, we, the life that I now live, I can live by faith, by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me. The only difference, the only thing that's keeping anybody from experiencing this wonderful gift of God Almighty, fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, with, with having a new nature put in within them, is just not embracing, believing the good news that Jesus has accomplished it all, that sin is no longer a problem, and that God is not angry at them at all. Embrace the good news. Believe the gospel. This, and, and, and this is the, and, and the Holy Spirit continues his positive ministry of conviction. I want to be convicted by Holy Spirit because he's only going to convict me of these things. He's going to convict me, my need for Jesus, to look at Jesus in the midst of darkness, in the midst of failure, in the midst of everything, look to Jesus. And then he goes on to, to convict us of more things that I want to be convicted of. Let's look at John chapter 16 again, verse 7. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I am leaving. For if I do not leave, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world regarding sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Regarding sin, because they do not believe in me. And regarding righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you no longer, and you, yeah, and you no longer are going to see me. And regarding judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I want Holy Spirit to convict me. He's going to convict me of my need of Jesus. He's going to convict me of my righteousness in Christ Jesus because he conquered death, sin, death in the grave, and he has resurrected and seated at the right hand of the Father. And he is my righteousness. And I am convicted. Convict me, Holy Spirit, that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. May I believe that with my whole being that I am righteous, that I am pure, that I am sanctified, that I am a saint of God. And then he convicts us. He convicts us that the enemy is defeated. The, the Satan has been, <laughs> had all his teeth pulled out. That we don't have to fall for his traps and his lies any longer. That we can be, that, that we have the victory in him. That we have been set free. And, and there's no, no, no weapon that's formed against us that will ever prosper. That we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And I've, oh, and I've shared, what's a more than a conqueror? And I've shared this with you, but Holy Spirit brought it up, so you're going to hear it again here. You know, we all know Rocky, the movie Rocky, right? Rocky Balboa. 
Let's, let's go to number two because it didn't go too, too good in the first one. And number two, he's fighting Apollo Creed, and they're just beating each other. I mean, blood. I mean, it's, it's terrible. Just pounding on each other. And it gets to the end, and that last punch, and he hits a Creed. They both, Creed goes down. Rocky almost goes down. And the count, the 10 count happens, and they raise Rocky's hand. Champion, conquer, right? And what does he yell out? Adrian! And he leaves. He gets all fixed up. He comes, comes home, and he brings in that great big champion conquering check. Millions of dollars. And he walks in as a conqueror. And he takes it to Adrian and takes it and hands it to her. And she receives it. You know what she is? She's more than a conqueror. Because she got the spoils without having to fight the battle. And we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. The Christian, we, we Pentecostals, charismatic, full gospel, whatever you want to call yourself. We, lo we love pulling down these strongholds that are ha happening in, in the spiritual realm. They're, they're <laughs> the only strongholds that are in the spiritual realm are the ones that you believe are still there. The enemy is defeated. We spend hours and hours begging and pleading for something to happen that Jesus has already accomplished. The church has done a wonderful job at empowering the, 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 the devil. He is defeated. He is, he is defeated. He has no feet. He's totally defeated. If, if you look this up in, in Romans, when, or Romans, when it talks about um, if, 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 if the rulers would have known what Jesus would accomplish, they would have never crucified him. And it says that they, they made a, uh, Jesus made a public spectacle of him. And that's literally talking about, so you guys got me going all over this morning. It's literally talking about the Romans, when they would conquer a country, they would take the king and the leader of that country, they'd strip him naked, they'd tie a rope around his neck and lead him by a donkey, and they'd cut off his thumbs and his big toes, and they'd parade him, make him a public spectacle throughout Rome. The reason why they cut off the thumbs is because he would never be able to hold a sword again. And they cut off his big toes because he'd never be able to run. When, when Paul said that, that that's what happened to Satan, what are, you, what are we concerned about? We, we are believing a lie, a religious lie. And these religious lies just don't happen in mainstream denominations. It's, it's anything that is of works. If you, th if you think that we, that, that we have to fight these spiritual battles down here, the only spiritual battle is in your head. Jesus fought the spiritual battle. It is done. It is over with. Now you act like it's true. Act like it's, 
Act like like it's true. Believe the good news. That's a whole other thing that most people aren't ready for. When it comes to sin, Jesus is the answer to sin. And not only sin, but our whole entire lives. See, unfortunately, most Christians have not understood this positive ministry of Holy Spirit. Most Christians probably have not allowed to let allowed themselves to hear the voice of Holy Spirit for years because they've allowed a counterfeit spirit, the spirit of a religion, the spirit of this world, the spirit of the enemy to take its place. They've, they've tuned in to AM, that old AM station, the Accusers Ministry Network, instead of tuning in to the FM station, which is a better frequency, the Father's Ministry Network. Religion has made Holy Spirit the source of our feelings of guilt, condemnation, and unworthiness. And because of this, we haven't really let him do his job. And because we're not allowing him to do his job, we're missing all the benefits and the power of a relationship with him. So we have a decision that we have to make today. We're going to have to choose. We're going to have to choose if we're going to allow Holy Spirit to positively affect our lives. To allow him to convict you of your righteousness. To convict you of your need for Jesus. To convict you that the enemy has been defeated. To convict you that you have complete victory in Christ Jesus. Any other voice that you are hearing is another shepherd. If it does not line up with the attributes of Holy Spirit as a comforter, a helper, an advocate, a strengthener, a convictor of who you are in Christ Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Karis New Testament Church. For more information or to contact us, go to www.karisntc.org. And remember, you are deeply loved, highly favored, and destined to reign in Christ Jesus.